Hi, I'm Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK. Coming up on the show, the UN panel on climate change just released a devastating report. What New York City is doing to address the looming crisis. When we do things here, it gets noticed across the globe in a way that almost no other city can uh, can claim. And so by taking the actions we're doing and staying out in front and divesting from fossil fuels and investing big in climate solutions, others can follow that lead. Others can see that it's possible because New York is doing it, and therefore they can step into the fray and they can join the fight as well. And then... U.S. Congresswoman Yvette Clark is here to talk about a crazy couple of weeks in D.C. and what Brooklynites need to know about how their rep is working on their behalf. I am the fifth-ranked most progressive member of Congress. I am the left. Hi, and welcome to the show. Just ahead, the representative for New York's 9th Congressional District, Yvette Clark, will be joining us. Over the last couple of weeks, Clark's office has been inundated with calls about the Kavanaugh hearings, as well as the Trump administration's plan to restrict green card access for immigrants who they deem likely to use public assistance programs. We'll ask her about those things and more. But first, a bit of bleak news this past weekend from the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. That body, publishing its first report since the Paris Climate Accords, says rising atmospheric temperatures won't have to rise as high as previously thought before wreaking widespread damage in the form of increased droughts, wildfires, food shortages, and mass die-offs of coral reefs. And that we have until 2040 to reverse direction. To tell us what New York City is doing to address this looming threat, we're joined over the phone by Daniel A. Zarelli, Chief Climate Policy Advisor to the Mayor. Thanks for taking the time today, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Uh, You've mentioned that the new IPCC report is the latest in a string of wake-up calls. Could you elaborate on what you meant by that? Oh, well, it's it's a simple fact that we have all of the scientific information we need in order to act. The latest IPCC report, the special report on 1.5 degrees Celsius, is just the latest in that string of information that the IPCC has been producing literally for decades. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the most comprehensive and up-to-date collection of that information that is pointing us to a very simple conclusion that the burning of fossil fuels is going to continue to threaten catastrophic climate change if we don't reverse course. Uh, New York City released uh, the first ever by any city plan to align ourselves with the 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement um, over a year ago at this point. And we've been working to accelerate our own actions to make sure we are driving down greenhouse gas emissions as a city. It's incredibly important for us to make sure we're pulling all the levers possible to reduce our own contributions to the causes of climate change and really decarbonize our economy, to adapt to the effects that the IPCC uh, report is highlighting will become more and more imminent and is really already upon us, and that we also work to promote climate accountability, um, which is why we've taken uh, five of the largest investor-owned oil companies to court, why we're divesting our fossil fuels, and why we're investing in climate solutions to the tune of billions of dollars. 
So what are some of the specifics? You know, a lot of people, I think, they hear these things and they all they think are overarching ideas, big ideas, like things that, you know, they worry they won't be able to comprehend or really understand what steps can be taken to meet those goals. So what are we doing as a city? Well, as a city, um, about 70% of our greenhouse gas emissions come from our buildings, from the mm-hmm. energy to supply them, to provide heat and hot water in those buildings, um, all the activities. Um, We are working to continue to upgrade the standards for our buildings, both for new buildings as well as for existing buildings, to make sure the energy use uh, is declining and they're becoming more and more energy efficient uh, in line with the Paris Agreement and our own targets. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are expanding electric vehicle charging infrastructure to make it easier for those who who may need to have a car in the city to actually go electric. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also expanding other modes of transportation and continuing to expand our bike lane network to make the city more walkable, Mm -hmm. a number of measures to make sure that we are greening our transportation grid. And we're continuing to promote renewable energy. And and some of that needs to happen outside of the city's borders, and we're advocating for that, and we're trying to use our purchasing power for that. But solar in the city alone has uh, gone up six times since 2013, so we're continuing to see Um, more and more growth of renewable energy just here in the city, Mm -hmm. and we need a whole lot more of that. Yeah, that's what I keep thinking about, because New York can do a lot of work, um, and I I think that that's important, and I'm always happy to see New York being a leader in these spaces. But what does that really mean for a global impact? Well, I think um, local impacts ultimately add up to global impacts and uh, Mm -hmm. in two ways that you know, all of us choosing to make different choices with our dollars and with our own actions can have a, a, a large impact across the globe. And there's a special unique aspect of this for New York City, being the financial capital of the world, the cultural capital of the world, the media capital of the world. When we do things here, it gets noticed across the globe in a way that almost no other city can, uh, can claim. And so by taking the actions we're doing and staying out in front and divesting from fossil fuels, and investing big in climate solutions, others can follow that lead. Others can see that it's possible because New York is doing it, and therefore they can step into the fray and they can join the fight as well. Can you see these findings moving the goalposts for the Paris Accords specifically? Well, the, the, the 1.5 degree target was a specific stretch target for the Paris Agreement. It was, mm-hmm. you know, the Paris Agreement is aligned around two degrees um, which had been a, a, a long-standing target uh, for the IPCC, but the 1.5-degree target was set as a stretch goal. Now we're basically seeing that we need to achieve the 1.5-degree goal. It's not too late. that it can We can still do it, but it requires huge transformative changes to our economy, and we ultimately need to get to a place where we are keeping fossil fuels in the ground and right. we've, we're transitioning to a, a renewable-based uh, economy. These are big changes, and I think mm-hmm. they require active work. Uh, they need certainly active support of New Yorkers and all Americans. We need to change the dynamic and make sure that our federal government is actually stepping up because we, we're seeing complete right. reckless action on climate change and a void of, of American leadership. The right. good news here is that civil society all across the, the country, cities, states, universities, companies, are stepping up to fill that void and make sure that we are still on track to hit the Paris Agreement. People look at climate change and they think of, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You know, and of course the answer is one bite at a time. Um, And 
different people can take different sized bites. But I think there are a lot of people who want to get in on this and who want to feel like they're doing their part individually. So what can we do? Uh, well, there are a lot of things, and I can point you to our Green YC program, which is all about the personal choices you can make in your own life to play a part in larger climate solutions. Mm -hmm. And it also requires that we change the dynamic by voting differently on issues of climate change. It's right. so existential to our future. Um, we need to make sure it's at the top of the agenda and make sure we're advocating for the right solutions locally, at the state level, nationally, all in support of achieving that Paris Agreement goals mm -hmm. uh, of 1.5C. Can you tell us the website for Green NYC? It is uh, nyc.gov backslash greenyc, and I hope I'm right on that. <laughs> we will double check for Please you. Please do. Thank you. All right. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for talking with us about this today. I can't tell you um, how much better it makes me feel to know that someone who actually does this for a living feels like we have some recourse here. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad to be with you today. Thank you. Have a great Thank day. Thank you very much. Stay tuned for our conversation with Congresswoman Yvette Clark. We have with us now in the studio Congresswoman Yvette Clark from New York's 9th Congressional District, which includes much of central Brooklyn. She joins us after a couple of crazy weeks in Washington. Congresswoman, welcome back to 112BK and welcome back to Brooklyn. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. It's great to be home. It's always great to have you here. These last few weeks, have they been like anything you've seen in the Capitol before? There, there, there is no comparison in modern day America that mm. I can point to. Not during my lifetime have I seen the level of vitriol, of distrust, of disillusionment mm. that we're seeing right now. And activism, quite frankly, right. uh, directed squarely at uh, the federal government and elected representatives. Yes. I yeah. mean, it's everywhere. It's in everywhere. every news story. Absolutely. Let's start with Kavanaugh. I know he's under no obligation to meet with you because you're not in the Senate, right. the Senate or the Judiciary Committee, but have you met him? No, I haven't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, again, he's under no obligation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was put forth in a Senate confirmation uh, process, the hearings that we saw. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we tried to add as much value to the conversation as we could from the House of Representatives, uh, right. particularly the women of the House mm -hmm. of Representatives yes. in making it known that we were concerned about the positions that he has taken, what the impact would be on women, communities of color, uh, mm -hmm. just based on what we knew about him in the public domain. Right. What are you hearing from your constituents? Because I'm guessing the phone lines are People are up. outraged. Yeah. People are really outraged. They're disappointed. Uh, they saw the sham in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, it was spelt out. There's so much more to learn about uh, Justice Kavanaugh. Oh, yes. That was not revealed at any point. So when you say sham, are you referring to the FBI investigation? That I'm, I'm kind talking of about the entire proceeding. Because mm. remember, Judge Kavanaugh had a very storied public mm -hmm. uh, service history. Right. And the Senate Republicans decided very early on that they were going to uh, basically uh, direct how much of that 
would be made public. So mm. if you start with the fact that he was a political appointee in mm-hmm. the Bush presidency, there is, you know, a huge swath of information, of paperwork and mm-hmm. everything else that he himself basically was responsible for putting before George Bush. Right. And at, in that position had a tremendous amount of power in influencing mm-hmm. a number of things that took place during the Bush administration. So we want to know what those things we are. We want to know what his perspective was. Right. You know, what led him or didn't to either sanction the Iraq war or not? You know, mm-hmm. th- there were a whole host of things that took place in that right. era. Right. We never had access to that information or to making it possible for the public to review right. that. And right. this was well before the well before allegations absolutely. or any investigation. So, I mean, you, 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 when you're looking at someone's character, mm-hmm. um, you, you look at their, their entire history. Absolutely. Right. So we, we can start with the high school student who has been alleged to have committed sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Then you have the college student whose behavior seemed to be based on allegations in keeping with that uh, high school precedent. Right. Then you have a young man who was given opportunity to engage in public service in various capacities throughout mm-hmm. his life, uh, leading up to uh, the Bu- the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Then you have someone who went through a Senate confirmation hearing to be put onto the Court of Appeals in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. It is alleged that he wasn't forthcoming with the truth during those hearings either. There was this situation where apparently uh, some uh, briefings from the Democrats around that hearing were taken to the White House. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had some involvement with it, but we don't know to what extent. We don't know whether there's allegations. There wasn't enough vetting of the process for us to get a true picture. Yes, a real lack of transparency. Absolutely. Which rarely bodes well. Uh, so many people said that they thought Blasey Ford was credible, and that was people on both sides of the aisle, and yet they still voted to confirm Judge Kavanaugh. How does that happen? Well, you know, it happens when you're looking for justification to do some uh, things that you want to do, right? You know, you want to appear as fair and as unbiased as possible Mm -hmm. in a confirmation hearing. But it's difficult to do that when you've already made up your mind that this is your candidate. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was stated by the Senate majority leader from the outset. And you're Mm -hmm. trying to back your way into justifying a conclusion that you had already come to. How did you feel after hearing his testimony? Well, I felt that he was extremely uh, disrespectful. Mm -hmm. I felt that his demeanor, his temperament was not that of a Supreme Court justice, Mm -hmm. someone with a lifetime appointment to the highest court in our land. Mm -hmm. Uh, I felt that he spoke as though he were entitled to something, that by virtue of, you know, him breathing and him being uh, even asked to be a nominee that it was his. 
and someone was taking something from him as opposed to I'm going through a job interview. Yeah, and I was. <laughs> so many people. It's interesting because uh, Trump just tweeted about the fact that Kavanaugh had been um, found innocent of all charges and had to be reminded that there was no trial, uh, <laughs> that he was simply do- having a job interview for Well, that's a quite position. interesting when you think about the fact that a prosecutor mm. was brought in to interview Dr. Ford. Yes. If, if there were no trial, mm. why not bring in a psychologist or a psychiatrist, someone who could really get into uh, you know, the, the specifics right. Right. of what this woman went through, spe- specifically because she was so credible. Yes, absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I agree with you. And, and knowing of that credibility and knowing how many people believe her credibility and then still voted for this man. I know, and I know that you're saying that, you know, people want to appear as unbiased as possible. But this sends a message to women. What are you seeing? Well, I think that, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot of outrage out mm-hmm. there. I'm seeing a a cohort of women in the United States that have said throughout this presidency that enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more women opening their eyes to the fact that this sentiment, this way of shutting women down, mm-hmm. which is baked into a mentality that is coming from our own government, is unsustainable. Yes. Right. So and untenable Mm -hmm. in particular, we cannot have another generation of women in the United States of America uh, be victims of uh, sexual assault Mm -hmm. and have no recourse, uh, not be believed or be believed. But white male privilege trumps that. Right. Right. So. I see women mobilizing. I see women organizing. They've been mobilizing from day one, whether it's the Women's March, the Me Too movement. That is important. And I want to talk to the women who feel helpless Mm -hmm. in this time because we have to help undergird these women to know that they deserve better Mm -hmm. and that we all have the same value in our society and their experiences are just as valid in this moment and they are we are sisters in the struggle to make sure that women's equality is 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 something that we experience mm. in our lifetime and that, that these be... elections are critical in yes. that regard yes they are there's a lot of push right now i see it everywhere for people to vote um, and I've never seen this much push for people to vote in a midterm election. And I have to say that gives me personally a lot of hope just seeing the directives. We'll see how many people show up, but I think we're going to be surprised. Well, to be perfectly I, honest. Think I think we're going to be that surprised. we need to convert that energy we had as Americans in electing the first African-American president of the United States of America, Mm -hmm. which was one of the highest watermarks that we've achieved in voting Mm -hmm. in a generation to a habitual voting. Yes. Whether it's midterms or presidential, whether it's school board or mayor. Right. Consistently engaged. Absolutely. So people are bracing for the court lurch to the right. What's the plan now for Democrats in Congress? People have mentioned a few things that could happen. Court packing, impeachment. Where do you fall? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking right now, this midterm election 
is critical to answering that question. Mm -hmm. Having experience being in both the majority in the House of Representatives and seeing how the responsibility for governance is so very important, Mm -hmm. having oversight of every agency, asking the appropriate questions, looking for all of those improprieties and legislating to abate Mm -hmm. those things. It's critical now that we're in the minority, we being my party, the Democrats, that we encourage everyone to come out and vote because Republicans who are in the majority now have demonstrated a lack of courage, integrity. Mm. There's a culture of corruption that is taking place. And there's fear, the fear of what Donald Trump can do to individually elected uh, persons in their own districts. And that Mm -hmm. fear has led to a moral bankruptcy Mm. that we're all experiencing right now. And so my whole thing is before we even get to impeachment and everything Mm -hmm. else, I don't want folks to believe that, yeah, it's okay. the Democrats are going to you know, they're going to make this happen. It's not the Democrats. It's the people. And we've got to flip it to a circumstance where we can bring transparency to what's going on right Mm -hmm. now. We can look at all of the digressions that have happened over the past 20 months through the lens of investigation and oversight to make them right. Because without that credibility, it it doesn't matter. Right. So talk to me about... Uh, this big, something that has been a really big issue for you, um, the recent proposal by the Trump administration to restrict green cards for immigrants who might qualify for some form of public assistance. Yeah, it's been a big issue for me ever since this president has come into office. It's been a, an, an, an all-out assault on immigrants Mm -hmm. in this country. It's the level of fear and anxiety in the faces of the people of the 9th Congressional District and other immigrant communities across this nation is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the Muslim ban, whether it's suspending DACA, whether it's eliminating temporary protected status, Mm -hmm. whether it's separating uh, children from their parents at the southern border, whether it's uh, trying to eliminate diversity visas, Mm -hmm. this last public charge rule is just compounding what has been a a really horrific approach Mm -hmm. to a broken immigration system. What can be done about that from Congress specifically? We can do comprehensive immigration reform. Mm -hmm. We were this close to passing comprehensive immigration reform. The Senate actually passed a bill back in, I want to say, 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. but the House failed to take it up. Right. And so that is important. We need a 21st century immigration system that is humane, that looks at refugees and says, you're welcomed here, that enables people to adjust their status when they've lived the majority of their life in the United States. And that then sets up and sets forth how we will make sure that we remain welcome to immigrants Mm -hmm. within the 21st century without discriminating against folks. Because this new public charge rule Mm -hmm. is really, uh, it will impact more than any other cohort of folks who are coming to this nation 
people who are coming from underdeveloped nations, people right. who are people of color, and right. you know, are coming with their skills, their talent, ability, but not the wealth that mm -hmm. others are able to come to the United States with. And, and so we've always provided and undergirded families, many of whom are blended. Some right. are undocumented, someone is a resident, someone is a, someone is a, a citizen within mm -hmm. the same family unit. And to penalize those individuals when we can create common cause that will lift that immigrant up to become that new STEM, uh, you know, phenomena, that, right. that, that new entrepreneur. I, I kind of want to change the subject a little sure. bit. I want to talk about this last primary for mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. um, you had a really tough fight yeah. in that primary. You won by about four percentage points to a relatively unknown challenger. Absolutely. Um, it's a tough season for it everyone. It is, it is. So I'm wondering, you know, there were some attempts to explain that in the days after. Um, for example, some former staffers, anonymous former staffers, um, said that they felt like you were engaged mm -hmm. and that you didn't care. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering, you know, like, what are you trying to do differently or looking at differently going into this next term? Because I'm guessing it must have been, I would have been a little heartbroken as well, a politician. You to know, hear that. listen, I, I, I was because mm -hmm. I didn't think it was a fair representation mm -hmm. of my work, of my commitment to the people of the 9th Congressional District. Mm -hmm. I had an opponent who was able to get out there and through his connections, frame who I was. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I responded as quickly as I had to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some things that I want to do now uh, in light of what has been revealed during this challenge to make sure that my constituents know that I'm fighting each and every day, each and every right. week. You know, whether it's legislatively, whether mm -hmm. it's working as a leader in the Congressional Black Caucus, whether mm -hmm. it's here on the ground in the district, making sure they're educated, informed, engaged and feeling like stakeholders do in the work like that I do. Do you feel like you're pulled to the left a little bit? I am the fifth ranked most progressive member of Congress. I am the left. Right. You know, so I, I, you know, I don't know uh what that distinction is mm -hmm. uh, for the people of my district, because there right. hasn't been an issue uh, that I believe that impacts us where I haven't taken the most progressive stance that mm -hmm. I can take. And that is reflective of the views of the people that I represent. I'm constantly engaged in that right. space. If you win back the majority, mm -hmm. what's the first thing you'll do collectively as a caucus? This is something I think a lot of people want to know. What do you want to do individually? Yeah. And what about if you don't win back the majority? So is there we, a contingency plan? There? We, we have a huge we have a, a huge agenda out there mm -hmm. for the people of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. As we can see, just about every system under which we've operated at, that was moving us forward, particularly during the Obama administration, but even mm -hmm. picking up from there, is being dismantled before our very eyes, whether right. it's addressing climate change, which mm -hmm. is not abating, right. whether it is dealing with health care, which is being undermined as we speak, the Affordable Care Act, the individual mandate, which has been stripped from it, whether it's affordable housing and the lack of investment from HUD, mm -hmm. but the, you know, the mean-spirited way in which we're seeing uh, someone who 
is not a housing specialist approach uh, the need for affordable housing across this nation and the real investment and the investment in infrastructure overall so that we keep a competitive edge as a nation in commerce, in spurring innovation. These mm -hmm. are, we have an innovation agenda. We want to make sure that our people are getting opportunities in this economy to use their talents, to be trained to uh, hone in on their skills. Right. These are the like top priorities for us mm -hmm. as Democrats in the House of Representatives. So I can see legislation cranking out within the first weeks of us being in the majority to really address these issues because these are immediate issues. Damn. I mean, you don't wake up in the morning, have to get to work on time, get on the subway mm -hmm. only to have it broken down, delayed service. The federal government should be the, the, gov <laughs> the federal government should be yes. investing. That's like critical infrastructure for us. So, Absolutely. you know, we're engaged, we're ready. What happens if we don't win? Man, I see uh, a, an ongoing, protracted activist in the streets, in your face mm -hmm. type of engagement with a very hostile administration. Right. And unfortunately, I don't think it's an option for us not to win these I... midterm elections and, and bring some balance to the governance and, and, and right. power there. Because if you have the Republicans, given right. what they've demonstrated to us right now, continue down this path, the pain will only become increasingly hard on the people of the United States So people of have to get out there and vote. They have vote. to get out and vote. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so sad that we're out of time because I wish we could keep talking, but I know you'll be back. I, I thank you so back. much for having me, Ashley, and I'm looking forward to it. And now, some news in collaboration with Brooklyner. Here's a reminder for everyone looking to do their best in this dumpster fire of a political climate. The New York State registration deadline is this Friday. The same goes for changing your registration to a different district. So if you live in the five boroughs but have a home in a purpler district outside the city, consider changing your registration to help challenge and change the political status quo, which right now rhymes with woe. Or, oh no, remember, Decisions are made by those who take the time to show up. Last Friday, 72-year-old homeless activist Nathalyn Adesigan led a group of homeless New Yorkers and affordable housing advocates in confronting Mayor Bill de Blasio, who was at the Park Slope YMCA for his daily workout. A video shows de Blasio smiling initially when Adesigan approaches him, but then when she starts speaking, immediately tells her, I'm doing my workout, I can't do this right now. According to How's Our Future New York, 84,000 homeless New Yorkers are living in shelters, including more than 22,000 children. Defending his refusal to talk, de Blasio says cameras are not allowed in the Y, but the activists waited for de Blasio to complete his workout and continued to demand answers from the mayor as he silently got into his SUV and was chauffeured away. The New York City Parks Department has issued a warning about raccoons with the canine distemper virus cited in Prospect Park. The distemper virus doesn't pose a health risk for humans, but dogs are susceptible to the disease. So keep your dogs leashed while in Prospect Park, people. Also make sure your dogs are up to date on their rabies and distemper vaccines. If they aren't and they get bit, they may be quarantined. We've all witnessed a cautionary tale that is The Walking Dead, so for the love of the living... Don't feed the wildlife. 
For more on these and other stories, check out Brooklyner at B-K-L-Y-N-E-R.com. One One Two BK is hosted by me, Ashley C. Ford, and is written and produced by Ross Tuttle. It is also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barghi, Isabel Alcantara, Ariana Rosas, Kritzi Roberts, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. And it is edited by Mira Al-Rahim. Our executive producers are Aziz Aishem, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. <laughs>